Ceridian creates innovative technology that organizations around the world use to attract, develop, manage, and pay their people. Its award-winning Dayforce solution helps customers manage compliance, make better decisions, build great teams, and drive engagement with their employees. Ceridian has solutions for organizations of all sizes. Ceridian makes work life better. For more information, visit www.ceridian.com. Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumzer, and today we're going to be talking with Abakar Sidoff from Beamery. Beamery is a British company that is another in a long line of people who are going to transform the recruiting industry. How are you, Abakar? I'm doing great, John. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. Why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself, please? Sure. Thank you very much. Uh, so my name is uh, Abakar Sidoff, and uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of uh, of Beamery. Would it be helpful to to give uh, a little bit of my background, or? Oh, please do. Please do. Yeah. How'd you get here, and um, um, what's your what's your basic story? What makes what makes you interesting to the audience? Absolutely. So. Uh, a complex story of, uh, of how I ended up in this space, and I think uh, probably many of us in, in talent and talent acquisition uh, end up kind of falling into it by accident through one way or another. And myself, it was, uh, and for my co-founder Selton as well, it was um, uh, one where we've been involved with the talent space in one way or another since almost since high school and, and college, where uh, we'd be getting involved with helping people um, find jobs and coaching and mentoring and uh, straight out of school we then kind of pursued careers in, in finance and both of us uh, ended up kind of being sucked into the uh, investment banking space and then I kind of continued that kind of passion for uh, technology into the um, into the investment side so I actually then uh, ended up being at a, a private equity firm that focused exclusively on software and that's kind of where the the marriage of those interests uh, kind of came together where uh, the talent and uh, technology kind of overlaps came through, and then we started really uh, thinking about, well, what does this space look like? Why is it the way it is? And then what was really interesting is kind of the crux of founding of the company four years ago now came when we did about 25 interviews with heads of talent at kind of big finance firms, um, banks, etc., and kept hearing the same thing over and over again, which is my applicant tracking system sucks. And uh, when we ask, well, what do you want instead? Everyone gave like a hundred different answers. So for us, it was this kind of journey of there was a penny drop moment where we thought this is a big problem. No one has really solved it, which means it's a really hard problem. So let's kind of have a stab and, and find something that uh, that is interesting. So that's kind of where that began. That's really interesting. So what does Beamery do? So Beamery is a candidate relationship management uh, software and uh, marketing automation software. So we essentially focus on everything that happens outside of the application tracking cycle. So uh, Beamery is really for organizations that are trying to uh, move from this reactive talent acquisition model to a proactive one. Um, and what I mean by that is you're going out there and getting candidates. It could be through outbound methods like sourcing, through inbound methods like uh, employer branding, talent marketing. So Beamery is essentially allowing you to capture that first set of conversations of that lead generation, prospect generation, all the way through to um, talent management after 
the application decisions made. So, for example, alumni networks or contingency workforces. So, essentially, we sit either side of that uh, ATS uh, part of the system. Got it. Got it. One of the things I like most about Beamery is the quality of the materials you generate for your marketing efforts. The... Um, the standard that you set at Beamery is that, from my point of view, is that a, um, a good market piece of marketing collateral has to give real benefit to the end recipient. And so, so I've seen things that range from guides to GDPR that are exhaustive and, and correct to how-to pamphlets on this and that inside inside of the system. I, I assume that, that that focus on value-driven marketing kind of bleeds through into your execution of the software because the, the problem that you're solving is pretty similar. So, so my guess is that Beamery tries to teach its clients how to do marketing in the way that Beamery does it. Is that fair? Could you talk about sort of your approach to marketing in general? Sure. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite topics. So um, when we, and this kind of goes back to when, when we started the business, uh, we thought to ourselves, uh, what we're doing and the what we're embarking on is in many ways kind of category creation. Um, and so what we tried to do was look to uh, other organizations that have done this before us in uh, in other spaces. And we thought, okay, well, uh, you know, companies like HubSpot in inbound marketing and companies like Zendesk in um, uh, customer support and gain and customer success. And uh, what have they done right? And I think the unifying factor was they actually split um, this idea of uh, training and marketing into two categories. And one was essentially uh, the category creation piece uh, around market education of how to be good at that profession and educate the market on that in absentia of the product itself. So for example, HubSpot has this inbound certification, which is loosely based on their product, but majority it's like just how to be a, a concept marketer. And then um, Zendesk has the same, Gainsight has the same. And we kind of thought the mantle we have to take on is just help move this industry forward even if they're not customer of ours and never will be, uh, and just helping push people in that direction. So um, that's the approach we took to, uh, to marketing, to content creation. And you're absolutely right. The objective for us was give value before asking for something, you know, help people just become better. And uh, initially it was sharing our ideas of what we thought worked. And then when you start seeing reciprocation from the market, we then... Uh, the way that uh, Ben Slater, who who runs our marketing team, essentially does it is he he's constantly talking to talent leaders and saying, what else are you struggling with? How would it be helpful? Uh, what echelons of your company uh, would this kind of uh, content be useful? You know, is it your managers? Is it the um, people at the call face who are recruiting every day? And so we structure the way we we look at content uh, by the audience and, and who would be most useful for. So, for example, that GDPR piece he mentioned is something that's been front of mind. Uh, for many, many companies, especially kind of HR leaders, uh, procurement leaders um, for multinationals. So that's why we felt it was really important to do something that was super comprehensive. Uh, and then there's uh, the kind of um, certification around actually using our tool itself and helping companies get better at the, the kind of practical elements of you know, how to send good 
uh, emails how to do candidate engagement. So that's a an approach that we've been investing in for a number of years, and we feel that um, it's a much better way of building brand and building presence than you know just doing outbound cold calling and sales. Everybody that I talk to is experiencing radical declines in open rates in email. And and you've got a product that's designed to communicate through email. Uh, how do you how do you help people with the fact that in general email is a decreasingly successful communications tool? So I'd actually take a take a step back for a second. Uh, our product is designed to help people communicate and putting kind of thing. A stop there, uh, and it's to start conversations on the one side, which is a lot of what our uh, content management and uh, engagement system does with kind of create those conversations through an email is one channel. So actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, the channel of communication experiences ups and downs depending actually very much on region, profession, um, industry, and all these things. So as an example, um, email decline was much faster in Asia uh, than it was in Europe. Uh, many people communicate through SMS, through WeChat, etc. So uh, what we actually focus on is what is the best way for our customers to communicate and how do you optimize for that? So, for example, a lot of what we are launching in 2018 is uh, multi-channel messaging through all those other things that I was just talking about, whether it's you know, WhatsApp, WeChat, SMS, etc. So fundamentally, our project, product is designed to create better communication. Email is just a channel. That's interesting. So what are the other channels? So the other channels is, uh, as a starting point, uh, there's essentially two routes. Uh, first one being um, other ways of um, doing messaging. So one is SMS. The other is uh, call messaging platforms, Telegram, uh, Facebook Messenger, WeChat, and, and WhatsApp. So those are the things that we're, we're uh, working on at the moment and have in store. The other is starting those conversations with people who and, and kind of getting their information. So it's uh, the ability to do things like uh, website chats uh, and starting communications there. Uh, and then they kind of blend because um, one of the interesting things that happens today, so for example, when you speak to um, many kind of top tier recruiters, at, especially at some of the tech companies, they'll tell you that conversations start on LinkedIn, continue on email, but then finish on SMS because the moment that a candidate coming on site and it's a kind of high value hire, then the recruiter starts making it a lot more personal, calling them, uh, messaging them on text and WhatsApp. So a lot of that is no longer being logged or tracked anywhere. So for us, it's actually kind of full circle. If you want to have control, if you want to have full data integrity, and this comes back to the data governance and compliance piece, this is becoming a necessity because the behavior of users is already doing that. Well, this is very interesting. I am unaware, although you know, I have a pretty good view of the marketplace, but I don't see everything. I'm unaware of anybody else who is claiming to be able to manage and control multi-channel communications as part of an overall um, recruiting strategy. Um, uh, are, are you out ahead of the pack that far? 
Well, we, we hope to be, and we think so. I, I guess there is, there's lots of kind of individual products that do that, right? So, for example, ISIM's just acquired text recruit. So uh, I think there's, there's people that are moving in this direction. Uh, and then uh, I think some companies have, uh, especially on the kind of ERP, uh, ATS vendor side, I think have been either licensing technology, but I'm talking about SMS specifically. In terms of going down the other channels, that, uh, I don't think anyone else is doing that today. Yeah, that's the, that's the interesting part to me. SMS will, SMS will fade faster than email did, uh, mm-hmm. and so that that leaves you with um, with the reality that the people that you're talking to are in more mm, ephemeral communication systems than email. It's 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 mm-hmm. generally quite difficult to organize and control messaging on a, on a sort of a campaign level down those other channels. And so that's interesting to, 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 to hear that you're doing it. Do you imagine you'll have products that actually are effective at multi-channel integration this year? Uh, absolutely. That's the, that's the goal for this year. That's, that's pretty exciting. I, I really don't think there's anybody else doing it. So, so what's the role of AI in in this um, um, adventure of yours? It's uh, it's an interesting question, and I think uh, last time you and I spoke, John, I think it, it's one of those kind of can of worms conversations that, that keeps being brought up. And huh. I think for us, um, <laughs> AI is um, kind of our viewpoint is it should be an enabler of. Um, better uh, experiences and better user behavior. So uh, if you're going to disaggregate it, um, there's kind of one view, which is how do I make better decisions um, and how do I create a better candidate experience and a user experience for my for my users? So um, as an example of this, uh, we've woven um, AI into a kind of a couple of principles uh, within our products. So one of those is uh, we talked about communication. Um, one of the primary reasons for uh, a poor candidate experience is just failure to reply to candidates or uh, replying really late uh, or, or doing so, uh, especially in a kind of impersonalized manner. So one of the first things that we did was do things like uh, do email passing where um, within uh, a certain time frame, users get reminded that they haven't responded to a candidate or there's a question. So you're essentially trying to eliminate uh, poor experience or, or user error uh, in doing that. So that was kind of step one. Uh, step two was starting to then do um, learned behavior because there's a big difference between uh, machine learning a- uh, AI versus like say what a chatbot is, which is essentially like a triaging system. It's not really AI. Um, AI means that you're learning from what users are doing and uh, then actually editing and changing as you go along and it's a constantly learning system so what we've started thinking about is rather than having like a blanket this is a 97 percent match for your company type of approach uh, we're taking much more of a um, constantly regenerative um, these users let's say you have a group of technical recruiters and i think we have we had this example recently with a gaming company who are uh, really good at figuring out what makes someone uh, uniquely qualified for their type of uh, their role they're recruiting for. And the example there was uh, they're recruiting engineers who are good at building uh, player versus player combat. Um, 
and on LinkedIn, that profiles their software engineer. Uh, on GitHub, they're able to find them talking about this concept of building boss battles. So the word boss battle means something to that particular recruiter, but doesn't mean it, uh, that to anyone else in their organization. So that's where you start saying, okay, you're clearly figuring out that three people you've picked and submitted for this talent pool contain this. So then you start learning based on that for that particular user saying, you like candidates that look like this, you submit them, this is being effective. How can we start then research, uh, resurfacing that kind of um, individual to you when similar roles are there? So for us, it's user-driven AI learning rather than uh, a kind of like chatbot triage of, you know, do you have this much experience, bucket one. Got it, got it. Um... What are the big problems in the application of, of uh, I'm not sure that I like the term AI, but, but what people are calling AI to recruiting is that the feedback loops are terribly, terribly long. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, it's very difficult to get started. You can't tell whether or not you're... Um, um, recommendations actually work until until the new hire has been in the job for a year. So it takes a while to build up a head of steam. And all the while, the promise of AI is that it's some sort of an instantaneous feedback loop. How do you manage mm-hmm. the expectations of people who buy your product thinking that it's going to be smart right away and, and discover that it's going to be smart over time? Well, that's actually part of uh, what we were just talking about. It depends what you're expecting it to do, because if you are expecting it to help you hire, which is ultimately, uh, as you say, a decision that has a very long feedback loop because you don't know if it's being gotten right, uh, that's very different than if you're expecting it to help you save time, if it's helping you to of go through a, a, a triaging mechanism within kind of taking a thousand people down to a hundred that you want to speak to, or it's helping trigger communications uh, in an automated fashion. So that's, I think, where you need to pick an area and educate around an area where the feedback loop is actually very short. Uh, uh, and that isn't to do with actual hiring decisions and performance. I think it's, uh, so for us, it's like deciding who you should communicate with. Is deciding when you should communicate with them and whether they might be relevant for your company rather than actually telling you you should hire this person. So uh, I totally agree with you. Um, long feedback loops is part of the problem, so you have to apply it to an instance where that isn't the case. That's interesting because, because you, you know, John, I don't want to pick too hard at this, but but knowing who you should talk to actually has the same length of feedback loop as... <laughs> Because you don't know if you got that right for a long time, right? and, and so, well, unless, so I'm not sure uh, that I buy your notion that that's a that's a faster cycle. I I mean, not in a are they the right person for your company? I meant more uh, at a time frame. So, for example, if I'm uh, if the uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a specific example. So imagine that um, you have a database of uh, resumes in your ATS that we've imported uh, that is three years old. Uh, And then we've refreshed it to be able to say where these people are now, locations, job titles, et cetera. And then we have an engine, which is what we have in a product that uh, is able to tell when some of those people uh, go back to an email that they've sent you and also go back to your website, click on some jobs, but don't apply. And 
what we do is we say it looks like these people are exhibiting behavior that they're more likely to be open to communication because they uh, could be looking back at your employee brand or they're re-engaging in some way, exactly in the same way as you would with, say, marketing content. So what we then say is you're more likely to respond. You're more likely to be, if, if you as a recruiter are time poor and you're trying to allocate of like which 20 people should I talk to today, then your feedback loop is much faster. You're like, well, I'm getting better responses by like following this method than this method. Whether those are the right hires or not, totally agree with you. That's, uh, that's a long feedback loop. Yeah, okay. Well, we should talk about that longer in, in, a, in a different setting. There's, a, there's an interesting set of paradoxes there. A question that, that, that I'd like to, to run through in, in these conversations is how you use and think about open source tools. And the point of the question is, I can't imagine that you're really spending your time developing AI. I, I imagine that what you're doing is harnessing other people's tools so that you can apply them to this particular use case. Um, yep. how, how do you do that? How do you think about that? Uh, it's a good question. So um, actually, that it kind of comes in uh, two parts. So we, we actually do have um, in-house uh, you know, machine learning engineers and, and data scientists who, who focus on this. Uh, but we are also a company that uh, works a lot with with open source tools because uh, I think fundamentally you, we, we many businesses take the approach that um, by adding to the kind of total sum of knowledge and by contributing to open source projects by using them uh, you're actually just pushing uh, engineering and um, uh, and the industry forward. So we've used uh, many open source tools and continue to do so. Uh, everything from kind of database software, uh, sorry, database technology, all the way through to kind of search technology, uh, often contributing, updating, improving. And then whenever then they don't serve the purpose we need them to serve, we then branch off and, and, and build on top and do our own. And at the same time, we also uh, have our own open source projects. We've um, Kind of release those. We've uh, many of them have been kind of top ranked on Hacker News. So uh, it's actually something that we are strong believers in in terms of uh, contributing to, to the open source community. That's great. So how do you compete for development talent? As I understand it, the demand for the kinds of people you just spoke about is, you know, a hundred openings for every available piece of talent, and it's just going to multiply and get worse. So, so what do you do to bring talent into your shop? Well, um, one of the talent is a very regional thing as well. So one of the things that we made a conscious decision to do is uh, actually start the company and the engineering team in London, even though we, we went through our accelerator program and incubator program out in, uh, out in New York. And the reason why we did that is because we actually wanted to I mean, being a talent company, we have very strong views around how to build and develop, uh, especially from a grassroots level. So one of the things that we did very early on is we became a visa sponsor uh, out here in, uh, in the UK so that we could actually uh, capture the talent that other startups and technology companies couldn't because of the, of the visa process. So uh, we actually have an incredibly diverse teams with uh, people from all over the world, from Asia, from uh, Middle East, et cetera, from the US. So we've actually sponsored lots and lots of people to come and, uh, and be part of our company. So that was kind of one avenue. The other is really starting um, at the junior level. So we've developed relationships with universities and with computer science programs uh, because we feel that that's actually how um, you practice what you preach. If the only people turning up on campuses are you know, the Googles and the Facebooks, then it's really hard to get 
to get access to talent. However, the only way this works is if you have a really good training uh, training program. So what we've done is we actually uh, first hired people who were former computer science professors who were experienced in taking junior people and shaping and molding them into, into more senior engineers. So for us, uh, that's actually been the biggest driver of uh, being able to uh, hire great people and, and add them to our team. Okay, just just because we're jumping fast between topics today, what are the what are the big ethical issues in your work? Hmm. Uh, can you be a, a bit more specific? Uh, well, when, well, when you, you, uh, you know, one of the things that I know about about um, the the introduction of intelligent technology into recruiting is is that the the sorting of people by their ability to cross a bar in qualifications is a way of looking for people that absolutely prevents you from finding a Bill Gates or an Albert Einstein or a Steve Jobs or all sorts of other really brilliant contributors. They, they, the people who make a difference inevitably don't meet the qualifications of the job. And and so I, I see a lot of energy being devoted to um, trying to float people over that qualifications line somehow, and it seems quite misguided to me. And so the ethical question there is, what's your responsibility if the if the approach that you have to recruiting is actually bad for your customers? That's, the uh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I think. Maybe if I start with the the first part of what you said around, um, and I guess this is kind of a broader problem for this industry, and it, well, actually, interestingly, touches yes, on the AI point that you mentioned, because if your criteria are wrong, and because you have strict criteria around hiring, you're going to not only miss the best people, but uh, if you've applied those criteria to the AI engine you're using, that's where you're going to get it wrong, which is why I think you and I agree that AI is fundamentally kind of broken because it assumes too rigid a framework. But then I think it's actually depend the way that we've tried to approach it is uh, you have to apply a slightly different lens on the criteria. So I'll give you an example. Um, we kind of created a framework for our culture around kind of simple uh, values and behaviors that we uh, find makes people successful at our company that are nothing to do with skills. Um, and those things are actually really, uh, really simple. It's, uh, we call them curiosity, communication, uh, ownership, and authenticity. And what they mean is everyone who's been successful at our company uh, that over the last few years has been someone who's always intellectually curious, someone who's constantly asking why and uh, finding new problems to solve, someone who is taking a lot of ownership through through diligence, someone who is an excellent communicator and develops trust uh, very, very quickly. So those are the things you interview for. Um, and often you can have someone who, let's say if you're hiring someone who is not a native English speaker, uh, you start figuring out, are they a good communicator? Sometimes it doesn't have to be oral. It can be asynchronous, written communication. Can they take complex problems and explain them in simple terms? Because if you take you know, an Einstein, he could be uh, terrible at certain humanities. If you're looking for them to be a problem solver, then you start figuring out how do they solve problems in an unusual way. So I think it's incredibly important to solve that side of the equation to actually be very clear 
what behaviors and what qualities you look for that are those indicators rather than like you have three years experience do you have a computer science degree from a top university i'll be honest i actually don't know how many of our team went to university and which ones they went to we never even asked that question got it got it so so we're whipping through this half hour what a great conversation mm-hmm. i really appreciate it what what is the one thing that makes your company different well one thing is uh is a hard one i think it's um genuinely an obsession with delivering uh something that's valuable to customers because uh for us the way that we do product development the way that we uh build everything and and focus on where our business is going is always driven by what the customers need and how do we give them value. For example, every individual in who is customer facing is compensated in a way that is first and foremost, is the customer finding this useful? Uh, what is the customer sentiment? So uh, all the way down to the intern in engineering and all the way through to the leadership, everyone always has to be in, in front of customers. So I think, um, you know, I could tell you the technology is better, which you know I obviously believe it is, but at the end of the day, I think it is the investment you make in in the product that is ultimately going to continue leading. It's the comment that you made, you know, is anyone else doing this um, a multi-channel messaging? Is anyone else doing compliance dashboards for GDPR? There's, there's lots and lots of things that we think that we can continue leading on, and that's because we're never satisfied with, hey, we found product market fit, let's just double down on sales. And we have a ratio of four to one of engineering to sales. Great. So. So I've really enjoyed this conversation. Would you take a moment and reintroduce yourself and tell people how they might get a hold of you? Absolutely. So my name is uh, Abigail Seidoff. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Beamery. And uh, you could reach me on uh, abacar at beamery.com, A-B-A-K-A-R. Thanks for taking the time to do this, Abacar. It was a great conversation. Beamery, Beamery is... Uh, quite an exciting venture, and it's cool to to get a chance to spend time with somebody who is cutting the front edge of the game. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, John. All right. It's been great talking with you, Abakar. We've been talking with Abakar Sidoff, who is the co-founder and CEO of Beamery, and you've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. See you next week. Bye-bye.